You're listening to the Radio Bold News Pod. I'm Mike Sakel, taking you beyond the headlines and introducing you to interesting people and happenings here in Sullivan County, New York, and throughout the Catskills and Hudson Valley. Right now, we're getting an update on the Sullivan County Drug Task Force and the work behind that, of course, with Sullivan County Public Health, as well as the Sullivan County District Attorney's Office. Uh, My guest today is District Attorney Megan Galligan, along with Sullivan County Public Health Deputy Director Wendy Brown, and welcome to both of you. Very happy to be here and to talk about these very, very important subjects. Wendy Brown, I'm going to start with you since you are the coordinator of the newly formed uh, Sullivan County Drug Task Force and wanted to get a little bit of an overview and update as to where you are right now. And we can then get into some of the specifics, especially with uh, District Attorney Galligan. What is happening with the task force? I know there are many things on the horizon. Well, Mike, you know, we folks that have been involved in the substance use issue in Sullivan County uh, for several years are aware of the fact that this is no longer a a one-stop shop type of problem. There are many, many aspects to substance use disorder and it impacts many, many arenas of county government. Um, you know, our hospitals, our community support people, certainly law enforcement, policy reform, treatment programs, and most importantly, the families and the people that actually have substance use disorder uh, issues. So we looked at taking it, we used a model that was successful in Erie County and divided it up. We took what's called the wicked problem because it's got many spindly arms to it and divided it up, bringing content experts into each field and then reaching out to leaders in the county and in our sister organizations to help us address the specific aspects of substance use disorder. So a big part of this is the Sullivan County District Attorney's Office. And D.A. Galligan, I know you've been quite instrumental in setting up a number of different uh, directions and projects, as it were, regarding uh, your approach to substance use disorder. Some of it, of course, still dealing on the legal end. And, uh, and you've been quite clear about that. But beyond that, you're looking to uh, make some modifications within your office. Speak to me a little bit about that. We are, Mike. We're looking to dedicate resources directly to the opiate epidemic task force. That's going to include uh, bringing Wendy on with the task force as we have over the past year. She dedicates a tremendous amount of time to this problem. And we're really tremendously grateful for that. Uh, but we're looking to also bring on a district attorney's investigator who will dedicate himself to the law enforcement aspect of this pillar, not only to supporting our local and state and federal police in their opiate investigations in Sullivan County, but also to supporting our local police departments in the implementation of a pre-arrest diversion program. We're looking at this point to help drug abusers before they become drug distributors. Our focus of drug distributors will always be to remove them from Sullivan County and to put them in prison where they belong once they get to the point that they're distributing drugs that are killing Sullivan County residents at a rate 162% higher than the average rate of uh, drug overdose deaths in other counties in New York State. But for drug users or substance users, we're looking to help them. We're looking to get them 
the help that they need before they enter the criminal justice system. This means that we're developing a program here in Sullivan County where a police officer who identifies an individual who could be charged with a low-level drug crime but also needs help because of their addiction. The police officer can make a connection with that person and connect that person to the resources they need to get help. It's a carrot and stick philosophy because if that drug user initially indicates willingness to connect him or herself with help and then fails to do so, we would then, as the district attorney's office, retain the right to arrest them and prosecute them for the drug crime that that police officer was investigating the night that the person indicated that they do want help. So with that kind of stick uh, out there, we're hoping that the carrot of drug treatment and community resources will divert that person from the criminal justice system altogether. We're not looking to arrest people because they are addicts. We're looking to help them and to help them recover before they fatally overdose. That is a major focus of my office's work this year. It, it, it sounds interesting, and you have to kind of walk a fine line there. was wondering, how does this differ from uh, current programs like drug court that is available? Is this similar to such a program, or how, does, how would it work? That's a great question. Drug court is available to individuals who are in the criminal justice system because they're accused of crimes for which their drug use was a motivating factor. Those crimes, of course, must be nonviolent, and it's my position that those crimes should not involve the distribution of opiates or drugs to others in Sullivan County. So drug court is a situation where after an individual is arrested, if we speak to that individual and get them evaluated for drug court, um, which means that they accept not only responsibility for the crime that they've committed, but also the fact that they need drug use treatment. And if we can satisfy the goals that the victim has going into that arrest, if there is a victim. For example, we see a lot of victims in connection with family larceny supporting our decision to move a case into drug court because they want that individual who's a member of their family and has offended against them to get the treatment that they need. We can enter into a contract with that individual that says, please use our drug court program. If you use our drug court program and graduate from it, you will get a reduction or dismissal of your charge. If you do not and you refuse to go along with that program and get the treatment you need, and that program actually does build in that part of recovery is relapse, right? It's not that if you relapse, you're automatically kicked out of the program. But if you don't meaningfully engage with that program and you are terminated from it by the presiding judge, you will receive X sentence. So it's a contract. It's the same carrot stick mentality, but it occurs after arrest. So... We're looking to absolutely support our drug court program because there are some arrests for which pre-arrest diversion is not appropriate, particularly where there is a victim who has suffered as a result of a defendant's conduct. But in those cases where it's a simple possession charge, a drug possession charge, and the individual needs treatment for the circumstances that led them to possess that low-level uh, drug quantity, they should receive this pre-arrest 
diversion. So right. we're looking at this both pre-arrest and post-arrest um, on a case-by-case basis. That's interesting. And, and from what I understand, especially when it comes to the pre-arrest arrangement that you're looking to have your office develop, you're actually relying upon a lot of the law enforcement agencies on the ground to really make the, make that decision and, and make those recommendations, correct? Our uh, law enforcement community in Sullivan County is 100% on board with the idea that misdemeanor or low-level drug offenders need treatment, not incarceration. So I think that that has been, over the last several years, a major mindset shift among our law enforcement community and our community in general. And we want to take advantage of that because police are the last people who want to see someone's life ruined by a misdemeanor arrest. They want to, they want to do good in the community. That's why they signed up to be police officers. And those are the kind of police officers that we want to encourage to do their jobs well and support them in that mission by developing this program. Well, and let me ask you this, even though it might it might not be a core question related to the, the drug task force, but does this play a role in the current uh, police reform that's happening right now? That was a, a Governor Cuomo's executive order last year. I know most of the law enforcement agencies in your office are preparing uh, those reports for, for the governor's office. Is any of this coming into play and related to that police reform that's happening in the county or police review that's happening in the county? We are working hard with all of our local law enforcement agencies to prepare those plans and have the community conversations that the governor envisioned when he set up this protocol. And pre-arrest diversion certainly comes into that, but what we see more and more from these meetings uh, throughout Sullivan County is that we are experiencing a mental health crisis in Sullivan County. And we know that mental health issues and mental health problems contribute significantly to drug use. The connection between mental health uh, problems and emergencies, drug use emergencies and crises, and law enforcement really can't be understated. So our police reform uh, focused conversations have really brought to light this mental health issue. And I want to make it clear in connection with that, that when a police officer is dispatched by our 911 center to a mental health emergency, again, the last thing that police officer wants is to place that person under arrest. Not only because uh, our police are committed to doing the right thing by our community, but also because a person in mental health crisis poses a danger to himself and others that needs to be addressed going forward. That's not usually addressed by putting them into the criminal justice system. It's addressed by bringing them up to the hospital for emergency treatment and often a recommendation by the police that that person be admitted for a long-term evaluation because he poses a threat to himself or others. That's why the mental health or emergency room pillar of the opiate task force is so important because that's an issue that we can discuss as opiate task force members. We can discuss how and why people are often now uh, less often uh, held for emergency evaluation than they were, say, 5, 10, or 15 years ago. It was much more common to see someone with a mental health emergency um, evaluated over that kind of 72-hour period than it is today. And that's posing a danger not only to our law enforcement community, but to communities in general. Because when an individual experiencing a mental health crisis interacts with the police and is transported to the hospital, 
where they could be told at that hospital that they don't pose a danger to themselves or others by virtue of being released within hours of their drop-off at the emergency room. That next 911 call that leads to the next police interaction that night is much more escalated than it would have to be otherwise. That individual is now in a posture where he or she doesn't want to be brought back up to the, to the hospital, doesn't want to deal with the police officers again. So, you know, this all does tie in together with the police reform. And those conversations have really been enlightening. And I think our community recognizes that. And our hospital recognizes this. Uh, they're here to support us in the community as well. We're all constrained by these regulations that are absolutely well-intentioned. I don't believe that they're not well-intentioned, but they're not working well to solve the problems that we have here in Sullivan County. And, of course, there's a lot of overlap between uh, individuals with substance use disorder and mental health issues, and, and it's it's an ongoing problem. And, Wendy Brown, I'll bring you into this conversation because maybe you can speak a little bit to that connection, that overlap between uh, mental health issues and substance use disorder and how the task force is, is handling that. Well, Mike, you raise an excellent point. There are... There's more and more research coming out almost on a daily basis about the connection between the neurobiology of the brain and the way people react in certain situations. So in the 50s, people didn't use drugs as much as they did. They medicated their pain with alcohol. So alcohol is still an issue and is still considered a substance use, you know, a, a substance use issue. However, what's being understood now is that we used to be of the consensus, and I people that have heard me talk, you know, I, I grew up in my professional career at uh, Beth Israel, which is a hospital in Manhattan, which was the home of the methadone program. They actually designed and uh, had the first methadone clinic. And the attitudes towards folks that were in the methadone program at that time were very different than people that are in medication treatment programs now. It was more of that, you know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, you're making this as a conscious decision. You know, you've made this conscious decision to go ahead and use drugs, and why can't you just straighten yourself out? You know, if you really love your family enough, um, you, would, you wouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. And we know now that that's not the case. There are certain people, and I don't want to get into the biology of it, there's lots of information out there, but there are certain people that just have a propensity to be easily sucked into the vicious cycle of substance use disorder. And we need to know that the bulk of this comes from, everybody has some kind of pain in their life. If it's, you know, if it's abuse, if it's, uh, you know, physical abuse, emotional abuse, we, nobody chooses to live a life that's dependent on a substance, regardless of what your substance is. Um, so there's, there's a, a decision process that really is out of the realm of someone's actual control. So then you come into, and this is why we have the pillars, because there's so many different aspects of this. So you have someone who's chosen to use substances to address their pain, or, you know, um, and they get, quote, unquote, hooked, and you're not allowed to say the word hooked anymore, but I'm old, so I get to say it, and that's what happens. And then they fall into a system that is not really there to help them because our attitudes are not where they need to be. And what happens is it falls back on our law enforcement time and time again. And as Megan said, law enforcement wants to see the best, the best happen for, for folks here. And we have mechanisms to, in the county 
to look at the programs that are available and get people into the right program. You know, luckily now with our legislative uh, folks here that are really pushing and that get the piece, the piece of this is how important appropriate treatment is for people. We're starting to see funding change and go back into drug and alcohol rehabilitation programs, longer term treatment, and that's what we need. You know, we have families that are completely and totally decimated because they don't know which way to go and they spend hours or hours or days trying to get a loved one into a treatment program only to find out that they get them in some place and guess what? Their insurance only covers them for three days. That's not an answer. You know, the answer is kind of recreating the way that we address this across the board and that's why we have the Pellor system. And we have connections, you know, um, our legislative group is, is pretty active in trying to bring these things forward. And I know we've spoken about it before, but just for the sake of uh, uh, people that might be listening and, and maybe haven't been paying attention, can you review for me quickly how the newly formed drug task force is is situated and, and talk a little bit about those pillars? Sure. We When we first set this up, we explained that this was a dynamic process. So just because we started off with it looking one way doesn't mean as we all grow and learn and other challenges come up, our pillar structure is not going to morph into something different. And the way we designed it in the beginning is already changed because we saw an opportunity to bring something else in. So right now our pillars, there's a pillar for information technology services because one of the things that's so important is data and accurate data. And we have lots of data, but the data doesn't necessarily talk to the other piles of data. So we have data sorting going on, which is a challenge, especially for me because I'm not an IT person. Then we have emergency departments and hospitals, and we're really, really fortunate because we have Jonathan Schiller, who's the CEO of Barnett Caskill, and we also have a phenomenal physician, Dr. Nick Batson, who works with the Crystal Lung Group, and they're leading that pillar. Then we have Open Prevention, and that's headed up by Jill Hubert-Simon and Alex Rao from the 911 Center. Jill works in public health, public health educator. But these are also folks that are they responsible for the Narcan program, for getting education out in the community. Under Open Prevention is the drug drop-off and drug take-back. And I really want to thank the Sheriff's Department and uh, Captain Pacey from Public Health because they just did a pickup. And we've got 360 pounds of unwanted drugs out of the community. Now, some of those are prescription drugs, opioids, and whatever, and they've all been uh, moved out of the system, so to speak. So that's a real plus. Then there's a community support pillar, which is headed up by uh, Marty Calavita and John Little, who's the Commissioner of uh, Community Services, and they are just rocking it with the different projects that they're working on. We're also working through uh, the community support pillar with John Little on an interactive map that's being designed by our um, county GIS team so that people will have easy access to go online once it's up and cleared and running and look for what treatment services are available, where there's access to care, and they can do that from the comfort of their own home. There's a lot of good information on our website that we would ask people to reach out to. We have policy reform headed up by Aileen Gunther's office. We have law enforcement. 
that Megan Galligan is heading up with Sheriff Schiff, and then we have treatment programs, which comes under John Little again and Melissa Stickle. And again, those are reaching out to all our community partners. Um, it's all the, the folks that offer services in the community, New Hope Manor, Dynamic Youth Center, uh, Sun River Health, are all coming together to get um, you know, pool, pool ideas, pool um, experiences, pool resources as best we can, and get the information out. We are just in the process of um, structuring another pillar which will specifically focus on families and those that have connections with people that have substance use disorder to see what how we can bring that in and listen to people with lived experience so that we not only, you know, it's great to design a cake if you never taste it, but the people that really get this are the people that have lived it. So that's going to be our next step. Great. Perhaps I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out to both of you, D.A. Galligan and uh, Wendy Brown. What I really want to ask is I, I, part of this, uh, uh, of this process is, is really, and Wendy, you've said this a lot to me, is, is like removing stigma and changing attitude. The same question to, to D.A. Galligan, especially when it comes to law enforcement. Uh, it, it's a matter of taking a different approach and trying to assist as opposed to incarcerate, for example. That's exactly right, Mike. And some of the things we're doing now, I think, are really important to that end and to demonstrate to the community that we are taking a new approach. We've made an application to the federal government for designation as a high-intensity drug trafficking area. What that does is not only open up other avenues of funding and support for the opioid epidemic task force, but also connect us with the Mid-Hudson Regional Crime Analysis Center and provide us with a dedicated Sullivan County crime analyst at that center. That's going to allow us to accurately track data, like we said. Data tracking and compilation is so important to this process, but it's also going to provide us with connections to all kinds of resources, not only for um, substance users, but also for law enforcement as we investigate distributors and lines of distribution. It's going to, that investigator is going to work together pending this federal approval with investigators from all of our neighboring counties and regions and across the United States to identify paths of distribution that we as law enforcement agents can attempt to infiltrate and dismantle, particularly as they lead into Sullivan County. So that's one new avenue that we're certainly excited about going down. We are also continuing to encourage people that if they need help to reach out, and if a family member needs help, reach out. Call our Hope Hotline, 866-832-5575. Melissa Stickle does a great job of helping coach people and get them to understand the buzzwords they need to say to their insurance companies to get approval to put people into inpatient treatment. We know, anecdotally and as a result of the evidence, that outpatient treatment is often not enough to break an opioid addiction. There are pathways in the brain that are developed when people are addicted to opiates that need to be changed with uh, direct and constant oversight. You know, even personally and professionally, I've seen it, Sheriff Schiff, Wendy, we have all seen people that we love and know go through opiate addiction. And what I know is that this process is not a three-month or six-month or nine-month process. It is a years-long process 
that goes on for the rest of an addict's life. Uh, I happen to know just in connection with my life. Someone I know and love was an opiate addict about 25 years ago. Still wakes up every morning first thing thinking about heroin. So that is so difficult to break that we can't expect someone to meet with a counselor twice a week and stop using opiates. So Melissa Stickle and the Hope Hotline are really tremendous in encouraging people to reach out for help and helping them navigate a system that, let's face it, is often affected by financial interests that weigh against putting people inpatient. Human suffering weighs heavily in favor of putting those people inpatient. But you have to know those buzzwords and that system to get your loved one into treatment. So please, call the helpline, and that's what we're here for. The hope and, and referral line is 24-7. It's covered by public health and uh, for the working as, as uh, Megan said, working with Melissa's team and soon to expand to other teams in the community the access to get someone into a uh, an appointment the following day. It's not a crisis line. Right. It's, I need to be very careful about that. It's not a crisis line, but with Derek talking, it doesn't need to be the person that's using drugs. Um, most of the folks that I the folks I speak with are the families looking for guidance on the way to go. Sure. Uh, also, um, with respect to that conversation that we're having about stigma, even if you don't know a opioid user right now, or you don't know them well enough to particularly care about the effect that opiate addiction is having on them, let's talk about the effect of opiate addiction on Sullivan County as a whole. Our babies born here are well more likely to be born addicted to opiates than almost anywhere else in New York State. That's alarming and that should be alarming because that means that the next generation of Sullivan County residents are facing challenges like those we've never seen before. They're facing challenges from birth related to opioid addiction. And those have very serious and real consequences, not only from them for a health perspective, challenging their nervous system from the moment of birth, but also from a social perspective. That's putting them into the foster care system, putting them into the adoption system, removing them from the kinds of continuity of family support that children need to grow up and develop into successful adults. So that's a really serious effect of this opioid addiction that a lot of people really aren't talking about. We can also talk about the effect of opioid addiction on sexually transmitted diseases in Sullivan County. It's something that a lot of people don't want to talk about, but our STI rate is significantly higher than elsewhere in our region and in New York State. That's putting people at risk who aren't even uh, exposed to opiates, and it's directly related to our opiate overdiction, our opiate addiction problem here in Sullivan County. So even if you don't know someone who's directly affected by opiate addiction, you are affected by it. And I think that that's a really important message that people are starting to get in Sullivan County. And it is a very important point, and I know, Wendy, we also spoke recently about the uh, neonatal services that are available through through public health, and to solve that problem, or at least provide some services regarding uh, those issues that D.A. Galligan just spoke about. And that actually came out of the task force, not the redesigned task force, but under um, under hope and prevention is the perinatal drug task force. Well, so as we wrap up here, Wendy Brown, uh, let's review how people can connect people 
that might be under stress of uh, a substance use disorder or their families and friends, close ones. How do how do people connect? Let's let's give everybody the phone number and the information. They can call our uh, intern referral line at eight six six eight three two five five seven five. That's eight six six eight three two fifty five seventy five. Or they can text hashtag Hope New York, all one word, and that will be the national um, the national line. That's uh, text hashtag Hope New York. Well, Sullivan County District Attorney Megan Galligan and Sullivan County Public Health Deputy Director Wendy Brown. Thank you so much for for joining us today on the Radio Bold News Pod. Some very, very important information and hopefully uh, assistance and and progress towards uh, fighting back a substance use disorder problem within Sullivan County. Thank you. This is Mike Sakel. Thanks for listening to the Radio Bold News Pod. Be back soon with more conversations that you can check out wherever you get your favorite podcasts and always at RadioBold.com.